Welcome to the Anglers Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. And here are your hosts, AC Insiders, Danny Blanford and Vance McCullough. Welcome, everybody. This edition of your AC Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Blanford. With me is co-host Vance McCullough. And we're talking all things fishing today, courtesy of our friends at Sportsman's Warehouse, Mercury Marine, with Relyon Lithium Batteries providing the juice. Uh, Vance, our friends at Relyon provided us the, with a little more than the juice. They provided us with the hookup to the Mr. Kyle Welcher himself, Bassmaster Angler of the Year. Came on board with Relyon, so he's out there challenging his limits and uh, partnered with them, and they made the introduction, and I've got him hooked up for today, man. Yeah, that is quite the hookup, you know, thanks to uh, those guys. Shout out to our friends over at Relyon, and uh, can't wait to pick Mr. Welcher's brain a little bit. I mean, that's, um, I understand he has a background, has a card player, and you think about a couple of things that sort of get dogged a little by people that don't know much about him, fishing and card playing, both of them. Oh, that's just all luck, man. It's just luck. How, do you, how can you be good at those? There's no skill in that, right? And I'd like to, to get his take on that because he actually apparently is very good at both. Right. And, you know, one, one great thing about fishing is, man, you can do it at whatever level you want. You can go out there and not invest a whole lot of money or time in it and just do it on Sunday afternoon and thoroughly enjoy yourself and just get lucky. And that's fine. And, and have some luck. Or... You could be real obsessive and go into great detail, lay awake at night thinking about it, research it, learn from other people, and just really dig in and master the sport if you want to, or try to anyway. I don't know if anybody ever truly masters it. That's kind of what keeps us at it. But you can play it at whatever level you want to. And I'm going to tell you what, Kyle Welker has been playing at a very high level. And I think we all have a lot to learn from that guy. Yeah, well, I think it's about – to your point, yeah, the, there are certain things you can't control out there in the water, but those who rise to the top, they control the ones they can, at, you know, down to the, the nitty-gritty details, right? And I think that's his game, and and it's served him well four years onto the tour, or starting year four. Um, you know, you look at a second in the classic, and then I think you referred to it as kind of a sophomore slump after that, and then back up that, miss a classic with the sophomore slump, and then come back out and say, you know what, I, I want to do this and I want to be angler of the year and to do that. So uh, you talk about some emotional roller coasters there. Of you know, Those are the swings that any angler would go. They're good. I mean, I say any angler, not every angler gets to know what a second in the classic or an angler of the year feels like. Right. But we do know the ups and downs when I mean, we've all been there, whether you're talking tour level or fruit jar tournament or your local bass club, highs and lows in yep. the sport. You know, on that topic, though, we've got to give a shout out to somebody who's on a major high, and that is our boy Drew Gill Fishing. Before we talk to Kyle, <laughs> yes. Before we talk yeah. to Kyle, we got to talk about Drew for a minute. Um, you and I saw something special on the podcast. We hit on that. I think we talked mm -hmm. about it. Just we talked about it just in our last podcast, right? Heading into the BPT, mm -hmm. thinking he was going to do something, and he did. I mean, he he did great there, and the every fish counts. Uh, left there and rolled over to Sam Rayburn and got himself a trophy already, man. Number yeah. and, 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 uh, best five, best five format, different format. Yeah. You still see the same guys come to the top though. Right. So mm -hmm. again, mastery of the sport, regardless of the format, regardless of luck, that's going to happen to all of us. Good and bad. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the guys that continually win are guys. I mean, they're just, they are really good at what they do. They're good at it. Yeah. To that, that luck guy, point, you know, whew. 
well, I caught up with him. Yeah, he's good. And I caught up with him throughout this. You know, I stay in touch with him. We're getting some good videos from our boy Ricky at Mass 365. So we're we're getting to follow along on the journey, which has been awesome. But I've been touching base with him on and off, too. And, you know, heading into the Rayburn tournament, uh, he destroyed a trolling motor and had a miserable practice, he felt like, and did not expect to catch him like that. But every day, you know, day one, 21 pounds. Day two, 22 pounds. Day three, 26 pounds. It goes back to that thing he talked to us about on the podcast, man. I'd like to just show up and listen to the fish. I don't like to listen to the people. I like to listen to the fish. Yeah, Dude, from, from what I've seen on day three, he straight up, his other stuff left him, and he just, based on what he did the day, two days prior, he picked some new water and just blasted him. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that adjustability, being able to, uh, you know, adjust on the fly and leave what, what you had, what you had known, what your comfort level was, what gotten you that far, right? They say you go to the biggest dance, you, you dance with who brung you. Well, sometimes that dries up. You got to look mm-hmm. around and, and find something new and find it quickly and making those kind of adjustments. That's the mark of a champion. And Drew Gill is a champion now for sure. He's 21 years old. To prove it. 21 years old, his first day, 10 days of professional fishing. He fished some last year, don't get me wrong, but this is the true professional debut. First 10 days on the yep. water, netted him six figures, two different formats, two different lakes. And, you know, won't beat the point to death. We were going to hook up with him tonight on the podcast because he's driving. He he did a Bass Pro Tour, a Tackle Warehouse Invitational, and now he's somewhere in Mississippi making his way, I think, over to Gunnersville for a Toyota Series uh, spoke to him briefly earlier today, and he said, we, we've got to connect on something, a sponsor-related thing. Drew and I are talking about something with one of our partners, and uh, he said, let's shoot for Friday because I don't think I'll make the cut. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm good. He says, I'll roll in on Tuesday. We fish on Wednesday. He said, surely by Friday I'll be off the water. It's about this coming up week? Yeah. <laughs> I said, dude, I'm not going to set that meeting because I think you might be fishing on Friday. There's something to be said for momentum. So yeah, oh sure enough, yes. Well, shout out to yeah. him. Shout out to their friends at Rely On for hooking us up with Kyle Welcher. So, Vance, let's take a quick break. I know we're going to go long talking with Kyle because he's a uh, just full of information, and I want to get as much as we can. Take a quick break. Word from our sponsors. Everybody, sit tight and come back and join us with 2023 Past Master Angler of the Year, Kyle Welcher. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop, convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmans.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse, shop one of over 130 locations nationwide and growing. This segment is brought to you by Rely on Lithium Batteries, the power to challenge your limits. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is one I've been excited for, and I got to tell on myself a little bit right out of the gate. You know, we brag on the show about being fans of fishing, and uh, our friends at Rely on Lithium Batteries had a new partner in Mr. Kyle Wilcher, 2023 Angler of the Year. And I said, man, this is going to be my opportunity to get to talk to Kyle. And I got all these questions I want to ask him. So I start blowing his phone up as soon as I get it. And the messages were sporadic. I check in with my boy Vance. I'm like, Vance, I don't know if we're going to get Kyle or not. And he's like, 
dude, you know he's fishing this week, right? He is in a tournament and he's still answering your questions. So with that said, uh, I geeked out on fishing. I'm a fan of the sport and I'm a big fan of your 2023 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, Mr. Kyle Welcher. Kyle, welcome to the show, man. And my apologies for interfering in your game day mojo. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I appreciate y'all having me. I understand though, because it's rare for somebody to fish two tours, you know, so I completely, you thought I had two or three weeks off still, but it was this, you know, no problem at all. Well, we'll jump right into that. You had a good event, man. Was that the first big level competition for you this year? I saw a top five. Yeah, yeah, th that, that was the uh, first one of the year. I fished some team stuff, you know, like some decent sized team stuff around the house and it, breaking in the new boat kind of, but uh, that was the first big multi-day tournament, kind of got back in the swing of, of practice and eliminating water and I mean, I, I had a little bit of history on that lake. Haven't fished there. I think the last time I, I put my boat in the water there was 2017. But uh, prior to that, like 2000, maybe 11 and 12, I fished there a decent amount. But uh, stuff changes. You know, the trends change. The fish don't set up the same year to year or even, you know, three or four years down the road. Fish literally don't position the same every single year. Generally, they do. But there's like small adjustments every year. And then whenever you zoom out like 10 years it's actually really big adjustments to how they move, you know? So right. they definitely, they definitely change. I don't know if it's a bait thing, like, like if there's a ton of shad in the lake for two, three years, the fish will set up different. And if there's not a ton of shad, then they have to set up different for crawfish and bluegill. So I think a lot of that has to do with it. And right now on that lake, there is a more shad than I've ever seen in my entire life. So it definitely moved them. It, it, I feel like that's what changed a lot of it this time was how, how much shad it made those fish kind of want to be more main lake than normal, you know, even a largemouth, which is hmm. different for the lake. What were your top baits over there to get a top five finish? Oh, well, so I, I came in seventh, uh, officially, seventh. but um, the uh, shad wrap number five is the one that, I mean, old school, just. Dude, that's know, old school. I know that. <laughs> Yeah, yep, spotted, yep. spotted bass love that thing when it's cold. Largemouth bite it too, but like uh, I had a really, really bad practice, and I knew I was going to catch some cranking, and I was like, that's the bait that I feel like if a fish sees it, they're they're just going to bite it, you know? So that that's what I leaned on. I caught, I fished the conditions other days too, like, like whenever it was windy, I threw a chatterbait a good bit. Whenever it got really calm, I got mid-depth and did some, you know, forward faces on our stuff, but for the most part, the Shad Rat 5 was like the bait I weighed in fish every single day. Other than that, like I weighed in a couple on a wacky rig, a couple on Shatter Bait, but that the staple was the old school Shatter Rat 5. We always go for that when the water's below 50 up here. What was what, what kind of water temperatures you guys have? It was so, cold down there. For, for your lake, area, it was cold, right? Yeah, yeah. Main Lake, you're looking at 48 to 50, and then in some creeks and stuff, you know, you could see 55, 50, 56, and some of the creeks that were super protected and were like perpendicular from, from the current, because those are the ones that always warm up the fastest. So those were, you know, mid 50s, but for the most part, anywhere from 48 to 52 was pretty common. Guys, for those that aren't paying attention, this is why I was excited to talk with Kyle, because he dropped like five different tips in there, Vance, and I know this was your deal. But I've learned mm -hmm. now that to look for perpendicular to the current is going to warm up faster. We talk about how a lake changes over time. We talked about how the lake seasonally or on a short period has more bait than normal. Therefore, the fish are setting up different. 
dude, there's a lot to unpack. I need to be taking notes and not leading this thing, but that's a great <laughs> answer. I'm going to tee it up to Vance, Kyle, because Vance told me you reminded him of some of the more analytical anglers of days gone by. And Vance, with that, I'm going to hand that over to you because I know you've got some questions about that. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's like, um, you know, I know some of the other anglers, Kyle, said that you really put a lot of thought into the process, your equipment, how you do things. And I've heard your name mentioned in the same breath with Aaron Martins and on that level, being that meticulous and well thought out about it. And one thing that's interesting, most of us who've taken a look at your, your background, you come from the world of professional card playing, professional poker. And people think, man, playing cards, that's all luck. And people think fishing, that's all luck. Man, but look, talk to me about how you find consistency in two sports that are so quote unquote luck dependent. Yeah. So whenever, and there is luck short term in both of those things, you know, like I could go to a lake and some other person could go to a lake and I could go catch 23 pounders and weigh in 15 pounds. Or this other person could get six bites all day have one two pounder and a five and three three pounders and he's got a pound more than me you know just because he got one bite whereas and if it now was a four-day tournament i like my chances you know because i'm on something <laughs> that's, that's better than him so you know it's kind of one of those things where luck is short term and in my mind there's no such thing as luck there's just like millions and millions of different variables and there's variance in everything like you can skip under a dock and catch a five pounder or you can skip on a dock and catch a two-pounder, and it might be laying beside a five-pounder. And that's just kind of the variance of what happens. And, you know, one day to the next, everything works out completely differently. But in my mind, if you can improve your equipment, your decision-making, your thought process, like everything that you control, if you can just be 1% better than another person, and then you're fishing against them 25, 30 tournament days in a year, and then for – four or five years, you know, now you're, now you're talking about, you know, 120 to 150 tournament days, that 1% starts to be a big deal. And it's the mm -hmm. same thing, same thing with, with poker. If you've never played poker in your life and me and you play, you could play a hand better than me. Like you could literally outplay me in a hand. But if we play for, you know, eight hours a day for a month, the odd switch, you know, because that's just how it <laughs> is. is going to be broke. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it, it's just doing those little things. Like whenever I played poker, I had friends of mine that were, you know, trying to play for a living. I had some friends that did play for a living. And it's one of those things where whenever I got done, we would go have dinner at night and, and talk. Like me and one of my best friends in the poker world, me and him still talk. We'd go have dinner like every night, talk about hands. And what you would notice with people, people who really didn't pay that much attention, they won't talk about the big hands. Like you have three or four big hands a night and almost everybody plays those hands correctly because that's the hand where I've got pocket aces and you flop a set. A bunch of the money goes in because I can't fold because I've got aces on a dry board. And then, but, you, but you've got a set. So a bunch of money goes in. So we're talking about that hand where if the roles were reversed and you have pocket aces and I flop a set, like it's it's all going to work out the same so that's just variance but whenever you start talking about people who are super meticulous they start talking about that hand where it cost them 25 bucks but they, they might they might have lost two thousand dollars that night 
you know, but mm-hmm. or they might have won three thousand dollars that night. But they're talking about this decision that made them lose twenty five bucks, and you understand the magnitude of those small decisions over a huge sample size. And it's the same thing with with fishing, you know, like the knot you tie, the you know, the line you use for every situation, the rod you use, the hook you use. It's all these things that. Whenever you have the per- the optimal system, you're still not going to land 100% of the fish. You're probably still not even going to land 95% of the fish or, or 98 or 99% of the fish. But if you land 92% of the fish and somebody else lands 89% of the fish, and then four years, that's a bunch more fish, you know? So it's just like, I, I was very fortunate to be around some really smart people when I played poker and seeing them dwell on, and, and me doing the same thing on these decisions that seem like they don't matter in the moment that that's kind of what trained my, my mind to think like that and, and be analytical whenever other people don't think it matters. But I have to say, as far as being, you know, compared to Aaron Martin's, I would just say that's a bad look on the rest of the fishing field. Cause I'm nowhere near Aaron's Mark, Aaron Martin's. So if I'm the, <laughs> if I'm the closest, that's bad for the rest of the industry because uh, that's not, to me, he's on an entirely different planet, you know, th- than I am. And I have so much respect yeah. for him and, and just yeah. like the stories I hear about him. Like it's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I really regret that I never got to meet him actually. So he's, he's like the one guy that I never got to meet that I had like the most respect for. And that, you know, that obviously now you, you can't, you know, but that that's, that's yeah. terrible. I kind of got, you know, he was already gone before I made the elites and we just never crossed cross paths, but you know, I, I appreciate yeah. it, but he's on another level than me. Well, he was an interesting interview. I would ask Aaron a, a ten word question and get a ten minute answer, and uh, but there's always a lot of meat there, man. The guy, you know, the lights are on. He's always thinking. He's analyzing and trying to figure figure it out. And it was uh, no, he was very meticulous like that. And I definitely have heard people kind of, you know, compliment you on your being a thinking man, a thinking man of the sport. Yeah, and uh. He, yeah, you know, one thing they say in old truism about luck, you know, say luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And on that preparation end, people think of fishing, another misperce- you know, misconception people have, I think fishing is an individual sport. And at your level, you've got a support team. Who helps you prepare? Who keeps you on track and handles the tedium of day-to-day so that you can think about fishing and that makes you successful on the water? Talk to me about your support team. So for me, the the number one thing that makes it, it just takes a huge weight off my shoulders is my wife, Hunter. She's in a lot of the YouTube videos. She edits them. She, you know, she films, she does all that type of stuff. And I mean, that is the, like the backbone of me off the water, you know, because when I pull up there, like, I don't worry about booking a hotel whenever I pull into town, like all that stuff is handled. Fishing license are handled. They're sent to me. They're in a Ziploc bag, like insurance is handled, all that type of stuff that I don't have to think about. And then obviously when there, there's a lot of anglers that, you know, are really, really good people and, and will help if you have anything, anything that goes wrong, like, you know, more of like a actual mechanically, you know, but for the most part, mm-hmm. taking a mental load off of me is it, definitely her. She's, she's the best, absolutely the best. And it would, it'd be a lot harder if, if uh, she wasn't helping. Guarantee it. That's been a common thing we've ran into on the show. Behind a lot of good men, there's a good woman right there, or not necessarily behind, but beside, or sometimes leading the yeah. way and, and, and making yeah. sure knocking down obstacles, right? And get these things yeah. out of my boy's way. He's got fish to catch. I picked up on that. I watched some of your videos. Uh, you know, I watched the boat walk through the other day. Give us a, give us a little bit about that because I know 
you, that's all your electronics. That's a big part of what you do. I know you orient towards the shallow fishermen. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but the boat walker, uh, I saw hunters roll in that, got to see the new baby. It was very clear that this is a team effort, but you got some new sponsors on board and you've got a platform here where you can talk about it. And I got boat questions. So how's that new boat? Oh, man, I love it. I got So this is the first time where I really put it through the ringer this past week was on Logan Martin, but like it, there's some things in there. The number one thing that I like as far as turn fishing is the live well system. And it's really cool. Like I still find myself double checking because it doesn't seem right to just like press one button and then be done for the day. So mm -hmm. like I would run like whenever I'm driving, I would just like check and make sure everything's still running correctly. But I mean, the boat is absolutely massive, you know, and I, I, I was thinking whenever I got into that boat, I'm like, I'm gonna have so much room up here to fish. Cause I, if you ever watch me fish, I move around a ton, you know, like the boat's drifting. So I like, I skip under a dock and I'll just like slowly walk back towards the cooler of the boat while I'm really my bait. I, Cause I want it to stay, I want my bait to stay like right beside the poles and the dock. So I'm like always moving while the boat's drifting. So I run around a ton while I'm fishing and I was like, I'm gonna have so much room, but what that allowed me to do is just put out way more rides, you know, which I, so, I mean, the, the front deck is enormous. But whenever mm -hmm. I put out way too many rides, it, it, it you know, I kind of get in my own way. But th that that is by far the, the best part is how wide it is at the trolling motor and how much I can move around and, and be comfortable. But the live welds are unbelievable. Like you press one button and it fills up, turns to recirculate. I mean, I didn't have to run the chiller plate because it was cold. And I didn't even use G-Juice because it was cold. And I was just mm -hmm. pumping in, you know, fresh water. But like the live well system is smarter than me on that, I promise you. Dude, I'll throw a bone on that one because I actually know, you know, the guy that was involved in working with that, Norm Latona of Southeastern Pond Management, I've known through other things. And Norm does some stuff in the bass space. He helped, his crew helped us with fish care at PAA events. Before your time, he, uh, those guys helped the Big Bass Pro Tour or the Big Bass, Sh bass Pro Shops, Big Bass Tour, Mark Jones and those guys, they have Southeastern Pond there too. And so for people that don't know, that live well was basically put together by somebody whose entire life has been in, in fisheries and fish care and hauling fish. And uh, Norm and the folks at Southeastern Pond Management, they're a bunch of smart folks. And to my knowledge, I don't know of anybody that's reached out. You know, I, I've got a background in the boat business, and I don't know anybody that has ever reached out to fisheries folks to basically try to build the best live well, right? I mean, they're always just fiberglass tubs with some roto-molded plastic tubs with insulation. And when I heard that about that live well, I yeah. thought, man, that that's cool. And I thought it was super cool because I know the people and I know they do good stuff and I know it came from a good spot. Uh, that thing looked massive and you got a chance to fish this weekend, performance, everything you wanted out of it. Yep. So it's like the whole shot is unbelievable. And I jump around a ton, you know, like I'm always like jumping over here and jumping over there and all that stuff. And like that, that makes up a big difference. You know, like if you're just running a mile, like it, you know, 40 or 50 times a day, like it, it helps a ton. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that boat so far. And I, I mine is not even close to like, lo like maximally loaded. Like Wheeler keeps way more tackle on his boat than I do. Like I, I keep a lot of tackle. I don't keep like a crazy amount. So mine, you know, mine rides really good, performs really good. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of that boat so far. Well, cool. I dug the I dug the walk around video, and you could tell you guys were excited and you were in it together. So, you know, I think that was that was cool to Vance's point on that part. 
Uh, Vance, you said something about it. It reminded you, it kind of looked like a tennis shoe when you look down at top down. And that's something that surprised me, you know, because normally they're widest right there at the console. And in the case of this one, yeah. it, it actually swells a little bit up front. So it, it's a cool deal. I look forward to seeing them in, up close and in person. Yeah. So the purpose for that is like a like it's a saltwater thing. And basically it gives you more width front deck, but it also makes it where if you're sitting in the driver's seat or the passenger seat, you almost cannot get sprayed with water because the okay. way it is pushes the water just like in salt water, like it they're in those big waves and wind all the time, it sprays that water out. And that's gotcha. exactly the same purpose in that is it sprays that water out. That's cool. So it uh, as far as events and all that, did you get out and look around any this year? Are you as far as getting ready for the upcoming Elite Series? I'm I'm going to. I did go to a couple places. I went and pre practiced for Grand for the Classic, and then uh, that was actually the first place I really took the boat. You know, because I got it and I, I went in December, and then I did not pre practice Toledo Bend, which I wish I would have. But the day I was going to go, they had that ice storm. I was going to go like that Sunday and they had an ice storm and I could have still went and probably got like a day and a half before it went off limits, but I, I decided not to go, but I'll still, I will go look around um, St. John's before we go also, because I feel like the fish are going to be in a different stage than they've ever been when we were there. And I need to, I need to kind of, you know, places I've drove by a million times because they're not there in February, they'll be there some in April, you know, so I'm, I'm going to go there. And then a lot of the lakes I've been to now, so, you know, pre-practice to me, if you're, if you've never seen a lake, 70% of what you think is going to work is wrong, you know, but just <laughs> literally driving a circle around the lake and then leaving, like your, your thoughts are just so much more productive, you know, like grand was the exact opposite of how I thought it was going to be. I thought it was like this big, deep, bluffy lake, you know, with some backwaters, with some really deep docks and grand is way shallower than I thought, like tons of pea gravel, the bluffs aren't that deep, like, so a lot of what I thought was going to play is like different. So I'm super glad that I went because now my thought process is more, you know, it's, it, it's going to be correct. Right. I, the per I, I, your your perception was wrong. Yeah. My perception it is, it's like that a lot. Like I went and pre-practiced Seminole last year and like it, when I drove around, I was like, dude, this place is way different than I thought it was going to be, you know, and I'd been there before, but I've been there so long ago and I've been there in October. So it was like choked out with grass and hydrilla. So, you know, you, you kind of just get focused in on the pattern for that week and you don't really look at what's the potential for like we went in February when I was there in October in 2013, I wasn't thinking about February, 2023, you know? So like, it's just right. completely different. You know, along those lines that kind of segues into something that I, I got to have a, we got to have a lap before we hit record on, but that perception thing, right. When I, and I was telling you prior to, to getting you booked, I watched you some last fall on the New York swing. You got a lot of time with bass had that event up there. You had close to 100 pounds, had a good event. I was watching that, and I saw a lot of sniping, right? Forward-facing, yeah. straight-up sniping. Sniping, it seemed like it was in your wheelhouse. So leading into this interview, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to talk to him. Clearly, that's his game. And then I I bring that up to Vance. He's like, dude, I don't think that's his thing. He's a he's a flipper and a, and a shallow-water yeah. guy. And uh, that brings up an interesting point. I guess while we got you, we'll let you define who you are. We'll quit having perceptions. But uh, as you look at that schedule, where are you most comfortable? Is it the shallow thing? Is it the forward facing? Or is that part of the strategy to just be even on it? Yeah, so I, I like to mix it up a lot. You know, like, you know, I like to fish shallow some and then fish fish offshore some. But, you know, now the days of grinding shallow are kind of gone. You know, like 
And you see that a lot. Like whenever we go to a tournament where it's going to be a shallow dominated place, like you've got like a spot where you're about to get some bites and then you've got like, you grind the rest of the day and try to get like three or four more. Now you don't do that anymore. So if I find one of those spots shallow where it's like, this is a really good stretch, you know, this is an hour and a half worth of really, really good fishing time. When I get done with that, like, it's not like I'm going to go grind flipping shallow trying to get two or three more bites because it's way more efficient in a bass tournament be throwing in front of bass. And with forward facing sonar, it's a lot easier to do that than just going down the bank, you know? So this schedule this year, I think it's going to be, I'll probably 70 plus percent of the time I'll be using forward facing sonar just because of the schedule, you know, like Texas is like just notorious for it now. Like that's just what it is. It's, I think it's because there's Toledo Bend, I think is a little bit different. Toledo Bend has a good amount of current, but like fork in those places, man, they're really like big ponds. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's not something to make them have to get on the bank. Like you, like, I just left the Coosa River and there's so much current, like they just can't sit in the middle of the river. Like they can't, right. they have to get behind something. So, you know, a lot of those lakes in Texas just aren't like that. And then it's also whenever you have like a lot of grass in these backwaters that grows out, you know, however deep it grows on the fleet of being, I don't know, but like those fish just kind of roam around between that standing timber and the grass and the shoreline and stuff. Standing timber makes it is really good for forward facing sonar also because they just, you can now see where they are. Like it used to be where, you just slow roll a spinnerbait through standing timber and hope you came within five feet of one. And now it's like, you see which limb he's on, you know? So mm -hmm. I think, I think this year going to have to do it a lot more than I would want to, but as far as defining myself, like a swim jig bite and a frog bite, that's what makes it hard to sleep at night. You know, like if I go into a tournament where I know they're about to bite something that's, that floats and is tied to braid, it's hard to sleep, you know, but like, if you got to go, you know, sniping out in the middle, it's just not, that's just not how I define myself, and that's not my personal identity as a bass fisherman. Now, I've had to implement it a lot more. And, I mean, you know, if, if you watch some of the live coverage, I've done it a ton on live. You know, and I've done it a mm -hmm. lot on live at the last tournament at the NPFL. But, like, that's not how I view myself, but it's something that you just have to do because you're just more efficient, like I said earlier, whenever you're throwing in front of them, you know. So the, there's another nugget for everybody. you got to fish where the fish are. If you're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, th well, that goes back to your point, right? I mean, that's exactly what you told us about your practice. Your perception of grand was one thing, and you saw a little bit of what you were thinking, but the reality was a little different. Same with me, Vance. Uh, my perception was not that accurate. He's good at it, but he'd rather be something hollow and a, uh, some braid. So he's he's our kind of people. Yeah. Do what you got to do sometimes, huh? You you have to. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's a it's a competitive environment. You know, like you you can't have hour two hour lulls anymore. Like you used to could because everybody was, everybody was kind of having it, but now everybody's catching them all the time. You just have to move where you're at. You know, like you can't catch them out of one place all day long, but like they're biting somewhere all the time and you better be catching them to compete. Did you watch any of the Is Toledo Ben BPT over the week? I guess you were fishing on Saturday. Were you fishing Sunday too or not? No, I didn't fish Sunday. I watched it. Well, I actually, I did fish tournament Sunday, but it just was a different tournament, a small tournament. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I have went back and watched some of it. I'll probably go back and watch even more of it. But, who, you know, like, we've got like two weeks before we even get there for practice. And two weeks in February in Texas is a long time, a mm -hmm. long time. You know? So, those the days are getting longer. The fish are moving. I think if you fish like that 
if you, I think if you fish exactly like they were, you could be a hair behind them. But I, I think you're still going to be a lot of guys catch them like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, to win, you have to be in front of where they're coming to, you know. And, you know, the locals are going to be catching them from now till we get there also. So, you know, the guy who finds something that's a little bit, you know, maybe further in the creek. I think D.C. was fishing pretty far back in, a, in, in creeks. But I feel like you to win, you have to find where they're moving to and where a bunch of them are moving to. And then you got to be really efficient to catch them. So, It'll be some of that, but I feel like there'll be a couple of things that change before we get there. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into it. I don't know where we stand on rules and different things like that with you've got an event coming. I guess my point to, uh, to, to it was that I was kind of sad, man. It was freaking the season opener on Toledo Bend, and it was ball head jigs. And the guys that fished the way I like to fish, dude, they weren't even in contention. And that made me sad. <laughs> right? Bunch Bing. of those baits. Yeah, bunch of those yeah. baits. I mean, that's just it. Yeah. That's just what it is now, you know, like uh, it makes me sad, too. You know, like I qualified for the open through the opens and I didn't have a transducer on the front of the boat. I didn't have a transducer on the front of my boat until St. Clair, my rookie year. And then the guy in the service yard was like, you don't have a transducer? And I was like, no. Nah. He's like, well, I'm putting you one on there. I was like, you can put it on there, but I'm going to turn it on. And, you know, like that's not how I started. You know, I didn't come up with it. So I've had to put in a lot of time in the offseason the last couple of years to improve at it. So, I mean, it kind of does, you know, like it's not what I want bass fishing look like either, but at the end of the day, it's competitive environment. And, like, that makes you the most competitive, so it's just what you have to do. But you're right. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, I'm going to get a rod coffin for this year to carry extra rods. And I'm like, man, I feel like, what do you need now, six rods? Like, mm -hmm. you need, a, you need like, a quarter to a three-quarter to a three quarter jig head with a freeloader on it like that's all you need now pretty much to to do well all over the country so it's kind of like i mean if i take a bait caster with me am i just giving up the win you know like that's and that's kind of sad you know Ugh, gives me the willies i don't like hearing that man especially from you uh talking about you know to, to your point about how you feel about it i'm in the same boat i fish a, i fish an aluminum rig but i've got you know i've got a garment on the front and i do and I, i'm learning it i don't love it but i feel like you've, you've got to and and that kind of thing i you know i've got a hummingbird 360 also but the, i spend most of my time yeah. four foot or four foot or less but i still take it out and play with it because it, I, like you said i think you got to have it um, to be competitive yep. especially on some of the places you guys go for sure vance uh you got anything for for Kyle, along those lines, or do we want to talk a little bit more fishing? I got one more question for him. Yeah, I, I, I like to get back into Kyle's wheelhouse a little bit. And I think it's, it's close to all of our hearts. So those of us who grew up fishing, and I, you know, I grew up fishing for bluegill and brim with my dad. First of all, we'd go down the creek and, and uh, you know, St. John's River, we'd go down there and, and fish crickets on a, on a cane pole. And, you know, there's no reel. You're just, it's flipping, it's flipping, it's flipping. It's what it is. And we catch big old bluegill doing it. So, Maybe that's why today, as a bass fisherman, it's still close to my heart, that style of fishing. And Kyle, I know you, you, you're you good at flipping. You like to do it a lot. Uh, Bryant Smith, Elite Series rookie this past year, did really well for California. He said something really interesting the other day. He said that people think of drop shotting and all this stuff as being technical. He said flipping is probably 10 times more nuanced than drop shotting. I thought that was an interesting statement. And you're a guy who pays attention to details. What kind of nuances am I missing, or does the average guy miss that, that will make us a better flipper? What should I pay attention to better? Is it strike detection, uh, bait selection, 
we flip with two heavyweights, two lightweights. Is, is there anything you're consistently seeing or, or that people can maybe think about that would help me improve my game day-to-day as a flipper? Yeah, so, I mean, he's kind of right on, as far as that goes because, like, you can flip a million different varieties. Like, you, you can flip dock posts, you can flip lay-down trees, log jams, you know, like, and you might want a completely different bait for all those things, a different weight for all those things. But the the biggest thing to me is I just go into it with trying to understand what cover I'm going to be targeting for that day, and I literally tailor the line, the hook, the bait, and the weight for that, for, for every single situation. You know, like if you're – if I'm flipping hydrilla, I like a four-strand braid because, like, the hydrilla is relatively – soft it doesn't make a lot of noise but like it you know whenever you use that four strand braid you can cut it if i'm flipping hyacinths i always use an eight strand braid because like you can't hardly cut the hyacinth in the first place what you'll have is that four strand braid will actually cut into it and dig into it and i'm talking about like mostly like dead big hyacinth mats and it makes a lot of noise going in and out you know and then like i almost never flip braid unless it's eight strand braid around wood because the four strand will dig into the wood and actually cut a v and get caught in that so i mean it's just literally tailoring everything for your setup for the exact cover you're fishing. And a lot of times for a tournament day, it's going to be, you might fit, you might flip in a hyacinth and hydrilla and flip in a lay down and then skip under a dock, like all in one day, you know? So, I mean, you need a lot of different setups for it and, you know, different hooks for this and different hooks for that and a different bait, different baits. So, I mean, it is, it's really just about diagnosing what's going to make you the most efficient for that piece of cover that you're planning on fishing. And, you know, one thing that I would say is I go with a heavier weight than most people all the time. Well, except when they're spawning. Whenever they're spawning or you're flipping around wood, I always try to flip as light a weight as I can get away with. But for the most part, I feel like flipping is a reaction bite like 99% of the time. Like everybody's felt it. You flipping that mat with an ounce and a half weight, and before it gets to the bottom, you already feel the thump. You know, that's that bait's falling fast and that's what makes them react. So I go heavier than most people most of the time. And like I said, line, rod, hook, all that is depending on the cover that I'm trying to fish. And I have heard you describe yourself as a guy who fishes fast. So does that play into your weight selection? You're trying to cover more water, uh, turn the odds in your favor and again, reduce the luck factor that way. Is that what we're doing there? Yeah, especially. Yeah. hundred percent. The only time that's different is, like pre-spawn, when they're pulling into places, that's whenever I really get an area and kind of go slow and pick everything apart. Like every place, two pieces of grass, meat, every point, every little, you know, indention, every hole, I'm going to really pick every single thing apart. But like post-spawn through the summer or even in the winter a lot of times, like I go I go fast. Like even in like January, February, whenever it's cold around here, back when you follow, had a lot of grass and we was punching down there, like it was straight pre-spawn and I went, very very fast and i mean they got it as soon as it went through so i mean i i didn't sit there and yo-yo it up and down a bunch unless i was in like a place where i had caught a bunch you know like if i you you become you know conditioned to like certain places that get them a lot you know and if i get in one of those areas i would slow down but every single time i found myself like i didn't get the bite like that like i got the bite as soon as it went in so i I do I, i like speed flip speed punch like that that's and like i watched bobby lane fishing in florida last year like he might go faster than i go you know like he goes super fast flipping you know like and that's he's one of the best at it well he's one of the most consistent at it for sure you know as far as flipping and i mean and he does that you know so that's 
I think that's a really good approach is going fast because it is a reaction bike, you know? You think part of that too is, is time on the water, guys like you and Bobby, uh, you look at a stretch of grass or vegetation, you know, the five or 10 places they're most likely to be a bite, right? I mean, like you, yeah. I heard you mention, you know, this intersection, that intersection, Hey, maybe there's a little hyacinth with a little bit of submergent and, you know, but you're not trying to, for our listeners that don't understand, you can make 10 really efficient shots pretty quick, right? You're not going everywhere. Yeah. You're just high percentage areas. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, and like, if you, if you fish down a long stretch and there's like 10 of those high percentage areas and you catch, you get one bite out of one of them, that I'm never going to go back through their slope. But if I go down through there and, and I get a bite out of every single point or every single indention, that's the place where you might could come back and pick it apart more and there's more fish in the area. But what you start to find is it's always the biggest fish are where you think they are, you know, like, not, like 90% of the time is where you think. So when you go back behind yourself, I rarely catch big ones, you know, but I'll catch a couple big ones on the first pass in the obvious places, then go back behind yourself or whatever, but it's not, they get in high percentage places. That's, there's a reason they're called high percentage places. Right. Yeah. And for, yeah, I think that's about the, the, the big bass is the bully on the block, right? So he's going to pick the best place to feed and, and, and get the best, you know, he, he gets the best chicks and the best locations and the best everything. Cause he's the big kid. I get that. That yeah, makes sense. You, you talk about stumbling on a nugget and unpacking some stuff. Kyle hit it right there. Um, that's one of the big things you hear from all the big swim bait guys. You know, Chris mm -hmm. Zaldane told me, he's like, take this thing and throw it exactly where you think the biggest fish would be because you're right. They're there. You know what I mean? You just don't eat all the time. Where, yeah. You can just roll, roll down and just read the water and look at it with your eyes and kind of go, okay, on game day, there, 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 that's where there should be a big fish. So, so Kyle, you find out more often than not, you're right about it. You either, you either, uh, I guess, execute or you don't, but, but there's no big mystery as to where those big fish are hiding. Huh? Yeah. I mean, occasionally you'll get one of those random big bites but like it's it's exactly like where, where you think and i throw big swim baits you know not as much as chris i'm not near as good as him but like i do the exact same thing like if there's a point that's got like super deep water in a bluff or something it's like a lot of times you see what's there you know and there's a reason you drive by that and you say man it looks like a big and should be there it's because they are they're just really smart sometimes <laughs> Well, as far as last year, you know, coming out on top, the one thing that surprised me is, you know, you've got the win, but the the, the Elite Series Blue Trophy is still elusive, right? You're still chasing that first yep. blue one that doesn't say AOY. That surprised me, and so I had to kind of look back through some stuff. And, you know, I checked this out with you before we came on air because it's got, it's got to be a little tough, but, you know, 20, was it 2021 and 22 came out, blistered in the 10th, the 22nd. And 20 was it the 22 classic where you were a runner up to Christie, right? I mean, yeah. right there. Yeah. But then the season, the season was kind of the, it stuck out. Talk to us a little yeah. bit about the, the fast rise and getting that close. I can't imagine what second place in classic feels like. Vance and I have talked about this. So after talking with yeah. you for 30 minutes, I'm thinking a big part of you felt like second sucked at the classic. Is that accurate or not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's one of those things where you I know, didn't mean I had, that. I, look, that I didn't mean that in a way where I think it sucks or anything. I I see a competitor, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I, and I'm yeah. sure there everybody around you said, "Dude, you should be really proud." But it wasn't. It, 
How many did you lose some sleep over those few ounces? You know, I re so I really didn't, and I thought way more. So my rookie year, I came in tenth AOI, but I lost AOI by like forty eight points, right? And I had three sixtieths that year. So like, that's the one I think about. Like I th I think about that a lot because like, day one of St. Lawrence, I, I came in sixtieth of St. Lawrence River, and day one like. I had the fish hooked to do really, really well, like five of them, you know, and then I caught 17 on the second day. Like just if I catch that bag that I had hooked on day one, like the AOI turnout is completely different if I catch them the next two days in that tournament. So, or the next day in that tournament and, you know, come in 15th. And then, you know, like that's mm -hmm. the thing that I think about because that year I made a lot, I made some mistakes that cost me a lot of AOI points. So I think about that a lot more than the classic, like, the classic sucked. It was a cool experience. It was cool to be there, but that's not why. Like that was my second classic. I had the, like I had a terrible classic at Ray Roberts. I made day three, but like I lost everything that bid. It seemed like, and then that that classic on on Hartwell, you know, it was like, I mean, I had the bites where it shouldn't have been close, you know. It, and I don't say that like I don't like talking about lost fish. I'm just saying like I didn't fish a tournament by any stretch. I didn't even I didn't even fish a second place tournament. Like. My execution level, I should have came in about 22nd, you know? So, like, I was actually fortunate where I where I ended up. And my practice and what I found, like, I found enough to win the Classic. I made the decisions to win the Classic. Like, I did everything good enough except for execution. And the only thing that I really do well on is the decisions. That's why first year I made decisions. I think about that because I can think back to the bad decisions. I can think back to you on St. Lawrence River when I made the worst decision. I've, I mean, on my second year where I made the worst decision I've ever made in, in an elite series tournament was, was on St. Lawrence River. And like, I think back to that and like that keeps me up at night. And I think I'm an idiot, but as far as like the classic, that, that doesn't bother me at all because all I, all I judge myself on is my decisions. But like, and I've had other people say that like, you know, you had a bad year because you came in second at the classic and that's what kind of hurt your year you know, after that, but my worst two finishes were before the classic, you know, I went to Florida and came in like 80th twice before the classic. So I mean, it was just like, I don't, I don't know what happened that year, but we just could not get the train on the tracks for whatever reason. And, you know, the classic was a cool break, you know, from the being terrible and obviously a good payday, which helps a lot when you're having a bad year, but it was like, you know, the, the decisions is what I base my self-reflecting on and kind of how I judge myself. And I didn't feel like I made a lot of bad decisions in that classic, so I don't really think about it. Great answer. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, did the bad year give you motivation for, I mean, to turn it around, to go from your worst year to your best year? Was that was that a mental thing? Was that a mat maturation you as an angler? Was it good shoe of cards? I mean, combination of all of it? I really, it, I really don't know. Like, it's one of those weird things where it's like, 2022, I had, like, way better practices in 2023. Like, I had some pretty good practice days in 2022. And those can be the kiss of death sometimes. Mm -hmm. And 2023 was one of those things where it was like, everything just worked out. Like, it just, you know, like, I didn't land every fish that bit by any stretch. But, like, it was one of those things where everything that I had found in practice during the tournament was better than it was in practice, just over and over and over and over, like every day, you know, and then I got off to, I mean, it's like every single tournament, I got off to such a good start 
early on day one that it freed me up to expand. And, and that's whenever I'm at my best is whenever I can, you know, like I'm not grinding through an area where I've already caught four and I'm like, I just need one more to get a check. So I'm going back and forth through this area, just trying to get that one more bite. And a lot of times you get that bite. That's why you do that, you know, because you know the fish are in that area and it works out. But you're a lot more dangerous as a fisherman whenever you could just like run around and expand during the tournament on the fly. You know, like that's and I was in that position a ton this year, you know, like for whatever reason. Like I started I started day one on Okeechobee and I had a place where I went to him practice and I was just cr crushing two pounders. You know, so I go in there and I'm like, I'm going to just catch a limit for 11 or 12 pounds if I can. And I'm going to get out of here. and I'm going to run across the lake. And then I went in there and like my fourth bites a four and a half. And then I catch a three and I'm like, all right, I'm about to leave. So I'm running out and I stop one more time and I catch another four and a half. You no. Know? So I'm like, okay, I'm not leaving. So it's just one of those things where that kind of stuff just happened over and over and over and over. And it just kind of freed me up every single day to expand and stay in front of the fish and where they were moving. And that's, I mean, it, it's hard to say that it was anything that I did different because I've had the exact same routine since I fished the opens as far as like, my exercise regimen, the food I eat, like the time that I want to, you know, give myself to sleep, like all this type of stuff is on like a very strict schedule around tournaments for me off the water. And, you know, like that has been the exact same every single year. And if anything, I was, pro I was maybe the most disciplined I'd ever been in 2022, you know, because I was having a bad year and I'm trying to get out of it. So I, I'm, I'm waking up at, you know, 4.15 in the morning and going to the gym and running, you know, for 25 minutes and then going back home and, and going back and then getting ready to be on the lake 30 minutes before daylight. And it's like, th those are not bad things to do. Like, those are not things that make you do bad. You know, it's just, it just happened to be that all the wheels fell off one time. But I think it was probably, you know, it needed to happen for me to be, you know, like you need to go through bad before you can enjoy the good. So I'm, I'm just looking mm -hmm. at it that way, that it, need, it needed to happen before this year happened. No, I, that was going to be my point when I heard you say that is that sometimes, you know, being on the side of the road, changing tires gives a guy some perspective. Right. And, yeah, and, and it had to make it feel sweet to, to roll on in home with that trophy. No doubt. Gives me goosebumps, man. I'm a bigger fan now. I liked it just because you started out in a little tin boat and worked your way into it. That's what I thought was a cool part yeah. of the story. Uh, beyond yeah. that, now I'm really blown away. Vance? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, and, and I opened this up with, with a question about luck and the luck factor involved playing cards and fishing. I think Kyle just really drove the point home for me there when, when you said that you self-evaluate based on your decision-making and not necessarily how those decisions turned out when the factors, you know, beyond your control, you're controlling everything you can control. And, and tournament success comes down to what time management decision-making, right? So you're, you're turning everything into your favor that you can and you're self-evaluating based on decisions versus the luck and how it worked out. I mean, I think you're right over the long haul, not just a four day tournament, not just a season over a career, man, that's going to benefit you well. And you're off and running, you know, on a, on a great track here, man. Congratulations. And thanks for sharing all that with us, man. It's kind of helped me clarify my own thought for us processes. And, and that's the point. Let's come here and learn from some of the best in the game, Danny. You know? yeah, without, without a doubt, man, I, I feel like I've learned here today. And, you know, Kyle, to your guys' conversation earlier uh, when we talked about Aaron, uh, I had the opportunity to get to know Aaron and work with Aaron in a variety of ways at the PAA and uh, got to talk with him a lot over the years early in my career in particular, I remember some conversations 
in and around the Toyota Texas Bass Classics that were like private, you know, just individual dudes talking, right? Fishing and life and and the whole deal. And uh, there's some similarities. <laughs> there's some similarities there. I can say that in terms of, you know, not saying it's just the thought process. And Vance, you've done an awesome mm -hmm. job with your questions of of digging in there to see that it's 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 multi level, right? You know. Yep. Some folks are a mile wide and an inch deep, and some are an inch wide and a mile deep. And uh, I appreciate yeah. the depth. Of, <laughs> I appreciate the depth of the conversation for sure, man. And uh, I'm a big fan. For people that want to follow you, if they haven't heard of you yet, or uh, you know they've been under a rock, where do they need to go to hit you up for some subscribers and some numbers? We all know those matter in 2024. They matter more than ever right now. So. Um, YouTube is where we're the most active for sure. It's just Kyle Welcher on YouTube. We post on Instagram a good bit. You know, that's how that's kind of a more fast paced, like stay up to date with the people. So that's Kyle Welcher fishing on Instagram and then also on Facebook post on there by far the least, but it's probably the one we should be posting on the most because that seems to be the best one to post on in 2024. But anyways, that's my YouTube is the number one, then Instagram second, Kyle Welcher and then Kyle Welcher fishing. Yeah, and Bassmaster.com, dude, you've been on that a lot in the past year. Hope to see you there some more in the years to come, man. I hope so, and hope, hopefully on Bass Live a good bit, because that's whenever you know you're making some money and you catch some bass. That's right, that's right. And, hey, man, thanks for explaining, you know, that I was wrong about some stuff and Vance was right. It's been awesome to get to talk to you. I think it's been one of our funnest interviews this year. And, um, obviously, for just for you and our listeners, you know, we recorded – we're in an off week because we got the chance to catch you. Um, so we, we, we knocked this one out early. We'll be playing it a little bit later. You'll be getting closer to kicking off your season in Texas, but, uh, know that the AC insiders are rooting for you, man. We've enjoyed it. Yep. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. It's been fun. It's yeah, awesome. four, Leaders in innovation and anglers at heart. Lose is founded on a rich heritage of building the best 70 years of cutting edge innovation with one goal in mind, to answer the call of passionate anglers who demand reliability, durability, and tournament-level performance, delivering the best for you to perform at your best, on and off the water. At Mercury, there are no limits to the lengths we'll go to make sure you have no limits either. Unlimited adrenaline. Unlimited fun. Unlimited weekend. Except maybe having to go home eventually. Introducing the all-new V8 Mercury Pro XS. Light, quick, efficient. Mercury, go boldly. All right, everybody, welcome back. Coming off of a great interview great interview with uh, a meticulous angler, your 2023 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, Mr. Kyle Welcher. Uh, Vance, we thought we were going to get uh, to see some detail and it's kind of some granular stuff there. And man, we certainly did. You know, um, his level of thinking about fishing is awesome and it was refreshing and I was super excited to hear it. You know, you and I started out talking about how much luck of it was a factor. And I got to say, after that conversation, uh, I don't think it's luck. I think it's more about skill. And I love the conversation on your question about how much of it is luck. And he said, it's not luck. It's variant. You know, a five pounder and a two pounder could be sitting there. And if I catch the five pounder, I'm fortunate. 
I could run the same pattern tomorrow and catch the two or the five, you know, and there's variations throughout the day, but controlling those factors, man, you nailed it. He's on it. And that's the big thing. And and he being a former, uh, I don't know if he still plays cards uh, somewhat, but a professional card player, poker player, he made a great analogy. Uh, people think, you know, that winning in, in, in poker is, is luck. They think winning in fishing is luck. And Kyle made the point that, you know, I might beat him in one hand of poker, but if we go sit there and play all night, you're going to find out who's really good. You know, mm -hmm. so a guy that does that day after day, the more time you put in, I guess, is where we're going. The time diminishes the luck factor. So a multi-day tournament, by the time you've, you've had four days out there, like you do at the top levels, uh, luck becomes very little uh, of an influence. And it's just, again, mastery of the sport. How much, how much do I focus on the little things and control the things I can control? And over the course of a season, luck almost plays no role by the time you get to the end of the year. It does. There's, there's, there's obviously, you know, any key moments, things that could have gone the other way, just like in any other sport or any other endeavor. Mm -hmm. But to say that luck dominates fishing, to say that luck dominates poker, mastery at poker or fishing, it's, it's just not correct. And Kyle really cleared that up for us very well, I thought. Yeah, and, you know, to your point about the time span, did you catch that when he was talking about it, he wasn't – you know, he started talking about 1% better and he thought about, you know, X number of days, but then he multiplied it out times X number of years. So this is, you know, this is his plan. This is a long-term game and, and he's playing it that way. And I think those attention to details will, you know, they'll fold in his favor. I mean, obviously AOI, there's no, you know, that's a major accomplishment. And it's interesting yeah. that he did, he did that without, you know, uh, like a hot run or stacking blue trophies. It was just Mr. Consistency and, you know, catch some at the Sabine, catch some at the St. Lawrence. That shows a pretty good diversity, man. Yeah. How much more opposite of lucky can you get than winning an Angler of the Year award? And all those guys who won classics and everything, they want to win an Angler of the Year because that carries the most respect within the fishing community and with your peers, your professional peers, because they know how much consistency it takes to win Angler of the Year. It's not just one big tournament or you got up or you were on some fish, got on the bike. Nothing bad happened to you. No, you've got to be good every day, every tournament. You almost can't have a bad day, never mind a bad mm -hmm. tournament, if you're going to win Angler of the Year. So, yeah, luck plays a very small role uh, in a career. You know, Kyle's getting, what, three years down now, looking forward to going yeah. to his fourth. And I'm looking – I'm really excited to see what's in store for him. He had a great rookie year, a little bit of a sophomore slump, and then Angler of the Year last year. I think he's, he's hit his stride, and he is very meticulous by controlling the things he could control. He's a very cerebral angler who thinks a lot about it. And I love those guys. I love those kind of guys that, that you know, you, you, boy, if you can just peel back the curtains in their mind a little and see what's going on up there. It's just a lot of fun sometimes. But no, you hit on something that I think is probably the thing that I'm getting out of these podcasts. You know, both of us kind of landed in our podcast role. I wouldn't say begrudgingly, but it was unintentional. And the more that we talk to these guys, that's the angle that really, you know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, I don't know if everybody unpacks from the conversations what we do, but, you know, just like when uh, we asked him about, you know, his, what, Mark, the most recent tournament, he's like, oh, well, I went practice and doing the obvious things of, you know, making sure I'm checking the creek arms perpendicular to the current and the, and he rattled off so much detail in there and we're getting to kind of get in their minds and hear those things. And then you kind of get that psychological side of it too. And, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I've heard somebody calling the Stone Cold Killer, and I, I've seen it, man. Ice water in his veins on that stuff. It's just business. Mm -hmm. So I thought he did a great job. And, you know, I think that's the other takeaway, too, is not just a great angler, but what a great interview. You learn stuff, uh, humble down to earth, and, you know, with that kind of stuff going going for him, uh, going to be here to stay for a long time. So shout out to you, Mr. Welcher. Congratulations on your Angler of the Year in Vance. I think this is hitting the air right around his birthday. So let's wrap up this show with a big happy birthday, and uh, we'll head on to the next spot. Come back. We're not going to sing, are we? I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to sing either then, though. I think happy birthday, Kyle, will do it for me. What about you? I think there's a bunch of listeners out there. Well, whoo, dodge the bullet there. Talk about getting lucky. And I'll have to listen to that guy sing. <laughs> well, listen, great interview with you. Always a fun time on the podcast, Vance. We'll uh, hook up and do it again. We're going to – fishing is coming fast and furious, and we're going to have lots of winners to talk to this year. So that's a cool thing. 10-4. Hey, everybody, come back and join us. We'll do it again. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse. Also brought to you in part by Pro Charging Systems, makers of the Dual Pro Chargers, TH Marine, Trickstep, Toyota Bonus Bucks, Costa Conserve and Compete, and of course, Angler'sChannel.com, your number one tournament bass fishing resource.